in brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power, oranges lust and blues you can trust, indigos feel and white ones heal, yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 535. Ooh. Spooky. Spooky. Oh. Threshold revisited. <laughs> that would be beyond that would be beyond spooky. <laughs> horrific, I believe is yeah. the, yeah, the so word. It would cross crossing from horror to horrific, yes. Uh, so, so this is coming out on Halloween? Probably yes, based on the fact that as we're as we're recording this, we already have Green Lantern number four. That's the next, which will have already been released by pe- by the time people listen to this. So yes, this is the next one on the on the docket. So this will come out the week of Halloween. That's right. But there's some spooky content ahead, anyways. So why don't you tell us all about it, Dan? Well, you see, they announced a sequel to DC First Vampires. That, that, also, be our, that, that was horrific, too, but in a whole entirely different way. Which will be our next year's Halloween special. No. That that should be a uh, tongue firmly planted in cheek. That should be our uh, GL June. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> like the, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Dan. So Green Lantern War Journal number two, written by Phil Kennedy Johnson with art by Montos, colors by Alex Guimaraes and letters by Dave Sharp. The title of this issue is Off the Rails. John Stewart has a job interview in Metropolis at Steelworks, the company run by John Henry Irons, a.k.a. the superhero Steel. The two Johns bond over an engineering problem that's been plaguing one of Steelworks' most ambitious projects, and it goes well, with John Stewart thinking outside the box and suggesting a creative solution that nobody on their team had thought of yet, and he basically gets the job and then heads home with his mother. John brought his mom along to see how she likes the city, because if this job works out, John will want her to move to Metropolis with him, but she doesn't really want to move and also doesn't want to doesn't want him to pass up this great opportunity because of her. Just then, the train is attacked by three zombified Green Lanterns. Lantern Varen came back to try arresting John again and brought back up this time, but the group was attacked by the Revenant Queen and turned into Radiant Dead. John secures the train and then goes to fight the zombies outside. Varen gets in close enough to stab John with a construct of purple energy, and immediately an infection begins to spread through John's arm. Soon he would be one of them. <laughs> John Stewart of Earth, rise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the first note I have on this on this uh issue is actually the cover, the main cover, I I guess. Color wise is very nice. They make some like really good use of like like pastel like reds and pinks and purples and whatever. But the the cover copy says Night Ride of the Revenant Zombies. And I don't know what annoys me more. The fact that it's like, well, Revenant is the Revenant Queen. It's the Radiant Dead. And Revenant kind of means coming back from the dead anyway. So it's redundant to put a zombie or the fact that the train gets attacked in broad daylight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, neither here nor there. Yeah, this. uh, So the opening sequence with Varen and these other lanterns, man, I hate when people do this kind of crap. This so this this whole this whole false bravado that Varen is is showing to these other lanterns as if he didn't get his ass handed to him in two punches. Um, I hate that when people finally show their true colors and get their ass handed to them only to just be up and talking to whoever whoever else will listen afterwards like they did something 
Oh God, he just really cements it in as such a shitty lantern. <laughs> and I could I couldn't believe Varen came back. And I'd like I have to think that we're supposed to hate him so much so they'll be like we'll be rooting for the Revenant Queen to kill him. Uh but I really do like like the uh the exposition that we get since he's here with with other lanterns this time instead by himself like we see we get to see like some some context for like how the core is doing things now like varin is basically like he he comes from nobility but he's not gonna inherit shit because he's a middle child so he's basically serving on the green lantern core for like extra credit so that he can he can like pretend he's earned a higher station later on. Like, like it's all like, like backroom, like political self-interest mode appointments and stuff. He reminds me of, um, Oh God, I forgot his name already. So this is going to make the worst reference. So I'm just going to hurry it up. If anybody watched the later seasons of, um, agents of shield, which I think it was season five, they go to the future and a bunch of Kree is rolling is ruling over the humans. And the leader of the Kree is basically in this same situation. He's the youngest. His brother inherited everything. He's his father's golden child and everything. So um, they think he's a weakling. So they sent him to the backwater planet of Earth to deal with the pain in the ass humans. And he's trying to kind of weasel his way up the chain. Uh, so in. Thinking of that, his mannerisms remind me a lot of that same character, too. So I know Mark didn't watch it, but Dan, did you you know who I'm talking about? I you know what? I watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a few seasons. I think I think I. I tapped out as soon as the inhuman stuff really kicked off. Yeah. All right. Mark, what were you going to say? I was going to say, and plus, doesn't it doesn't it make this worse? Because isn't he about to proclaim that he's going to be the next region of Durlin? Isn't that what he's starting to say before he gets interrupted? So it would be another reason to hate him if that's the case. Oh, is he a Durlin? Well, he's, that's what he starts to say. And I'm the next region of Durla. And then he gets into he gets inter, interrupted. So I'm going to assume that's what he was going to say. Maybe, maybe not. But that's certainly, I think, what we're supposed to take from that. Or else why would they? And what's the deal? And, and they name dropped Lantern Ray, whoever that is, because we know it ain't Tomar. Hmm. I mean, this between the two books, they're they're going heavy on on references to like specific names of of uh, either alien characters or alien planets or like obscure Silver Age storylines. So it makes me wonder how much of that is just flavor and how much of this is stuff that's going to matter later. I'm Ray Ray Jordan. <laughs> they'll pull a sequel trilogy. <laughs> So, so if we were worried about this, you know, for our Halloween episode being Threshold Revisited, is this the Durlin War Revisited? Oh, that's even worse than Threshold. <laughs> it went on longer, that's for sure. Or it certainly seemed like it did. Yeah, it was uh, interminably long for no reason. No Lantern Shepherd. That was disappointing. I yeah. Guess that's, I guess that's next issue, but. Yeah, about I think that. that oh, no, yeah, no, no, I just uh, just real quick, though, I did want to say I I think it's interesting because obviously uh Varen is our focal point here but i do think it's interesting like that this other lantern is like you know hey you wanted to do this or go back to your family palace then if it's being a lantern is still beneath you like the way some of these these other lanterns are speaking i'm wondering if you know maybe there actually are a couple of good lanterns still there because you know the 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 lore of lanterns throughout the the universe you know in universe are you know it's it's an honor to be chosen to be among them. Obviously, they have a spotty record as of late, but you know we do see that a lot um, when a new alien lantern is chosen throughout publication history. Is you know the culture having some actual knowledge of what this is, as opposed to when Hal was chosen, nobody knew what the what the heck was going on. So um, I'm wondering if you know is some of the old guards still around. Are they all like Lantern Varen or do like, you know, because this happens in dynamics, do some of his peers even hate him? So, yes. And this other the big guy who does most of the other the rest of the talking is named Coltec. And I mean, I have to imagine like it's. Like the Green Lantern Corps has always been like 
mostly good, but with some some real shitty guys peppered in there. And I feel like the the percentages have changed. So there's more shitty guys, but I don't think the whole thing's rotten or anything. I do think it's 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 become a largely ineffectual nightmare if uh if what we've seen in the last two issues of this book are any indication where you know even with only one data point which is Varen the fact that he is there means that just the fundamental structure of how recruitment happens and what qual- what is seen to qualify people for a ring is totally different from anything we've ever seen before and in a bad way yeah this yeah, the, wouldn't happen the, if kilowog was alive <laughs> the core is a mess we know that um do we know anything about the steelworks references uh, i didn't i don't i think i downloaded the first issue i haven't read it yet um has anybody been reading that or know anybody who covers that or anything like that i haven't i i want to especially since i found out it was a miniseries and also ones I found out was written by Michael Dorn. Like Lieutenant Commander Worf wrote a steel comic. Hmm. But um no, I think it's actually it's this is like a really cool like way to use the shared universe. You know, like it kind of make it makes sense that like a super architect would go to work at a place like Steelworks, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. That's a good point. I do like I don't know has Natasha always been a character Natasha Irons? Yes. Oh yeah, ever since the 90s, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they because are I, she, I, she and I, John are both are both a steel at the same time. Okay, because I got introduced to her in um in Superman and Lois. Oh, the TV show? Yeah. So, didn't know about that. The the conversation between John and his mother is interesting to me because I would assume this is a, a, a shared experience when dealing with somebody in the family who has Alzheimer's and stuff. There are moments of lucidity and, you know, there's a what's the, the quote? You know, it's not used normally in this situation, but believe someone when they tell you who they are or when they show you who, you're, who they are. Mm-hmm. applying that to this situation those since you don't get those moments of lucidity as much anymore the rare opportunities they have to 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 break on through and and show themselves again it's like you know yes uh, you want to take care of your mom but she she broke through for a minute to say no that's not what i want and and is he going to respect that that's and interesting it, to me and in that context like it's 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 still kind of it's murky as to how much of John's interactions with her are performative. Like he's still very much honest to God loves her and wants what's best for her. But he's also going out of his way to smooth over a lot of things to the point that she doesn't even realize there's a problem. And when I look at uh on the like at the page after the train is is moving away from Metropolis, there's a panel on the top right corner where he's giving the same forced smile that he gave in issue one when he was when she was telling that story for the third time in the same issue. And he was like, oh, no, I don't remember that. Tell me all about it. Like, even in these moments where where she is being genuine with him he can only be so genuine with her. Like there is a limit until he's ready to have a conversation that it seems like this book is going to have to have at some point fairly soon. And it is going to be devastating. (laughs) Yeah. There's one panel in particular that is kind of like, it touches on every aspect of what's happening in John's life at once when she's when uh, she says to him, Oh no, you're wasting talents that the world needs taking care of an old woman who can damn well take care of herself. If I held you back any longer, I'd be no kind of mother at all. 
And she's talking primarily about his job because he he intends to pass on this job if she won't move out here with him because he will not leave her alone because he knows that she's in no condition to live by herself, even though he can't or rather isn't ready to tell her that or why that is, which means she's wrong about that aspect. But also because like this is also directly speaking towards his decision to not be a lantern anymore and live a mundane life. Like John Stewart in particular being like being a veteran lantern, being an ascended being like he could be doing so much for the world and the universe that uniquely he could do, but he's choosing not to. And he's choosing that to have a normal life, which in this instance is kind of being embodied by his desire to stay with his mother. And I don't know if he's in the proper headspace to envision a world in which he can be there for her and to do his larger cosmic duty. Yeah. I'd actually like to see a conversation. I mean, obviously we all, we, we don't know yet how many issues this is going to be. It could turn into a, a proper ongoing. And I hope it does based on the two issues we've seen so far and, and the backups. Oh yeah. But I would hope to see a conversation between maybe John and Clark at some point um about that kind of thing if assuming the you know clark or the league knows what's going on with john in terms of his ascendedness um because clark's probably what the closest person earth has to an ascended being right other than like him straight up calling up like the specter the phantom stranger for a chat (laughs) mark what do you think of the issue Overall, I liked it. I thought it was not, it wasn't exactly the pace that I thought we were, or the maybe the direction I thought we were going to go in in this issue. But I, but I think it works. I think it's, I mean, obviously, I like steel, so it's always good having a steel cameo. Uh, but the, but and John and Steel being together on multiple levels makes sense. I'm not a big fan of. I don't. I'm not a big fan of the in this issue in particular. I think. Uh, John Stewart looks too much like Michael B. Jordan, and I kind of don't like that. <laughs> I can't tell you. I just don't. That it, it, that's just what struck me on some panels. He looks really like Michael B. Jordan, and I just and I just don't think that really works for me. But that's that's neither here nor there from this from a storytelling perspective, really. But I do like the way they kind of like begin and end with the with the Revenant Queen stuff, and in a way, I think it works also because in a way, John is is being borderline cocky. And the way he's dealing with stuff, kind of thinking that basically nothing is he's above everything. And, and from the perspective that he can handle everything. And, you know, you came to the wrong neighborhood and you pissed me off, kind of like what he did when he did last issue. But so he in a way, it's kind of like uh, the pride goeth before the fall thing, because he kind of thought he was a little maybe more invul- invulnerable than he was. And now all of a sudden, boom, now we have to see what the uh, issue, no pun intended, how he how he handles the issue of being infected with that dagger and want to see if he's able to contain it on his own, uh, whether Shepard's able to help him with this or whether it's just one of those things where it's going to, it basically has to run its course. And eventually uh, you assume John Stewart will one way or the other, will get rid of it. But yeah, he messed up bad. Like there is no reason for him to get up close with any of these guys. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I think that's an interesting point you, you raise more because like that's, that's the downside of him giving up being a lantern and, and going straight for the, you know, nuclear family option of just living low key, not even a superhero anymore, not really even use, cause he doesn't use his powers to commute, right? We got, we got right. that, the, the last issue. He's not using his powers except in defense. Um, so he's, he's not just throwing aside his superhero identity. He's not, he has completely he has ascended and has fully put it aside. And because of that, he hasn't tested his limits. He doesn't know what he can or cannot do. And and that bit him in the ass here. All right, uh, that's a good point, because if if he was willing to, like, teleport from from his mom's house to Metropolis, moving would be a non-issue he could just live stay living there with her and still go to work but like his whole deal is he wants to he wants to make something of himself without using 
his powers as a crutch. Otherwise, he'll he'll never kind of get out from under it. Plus, it's not it's also not just that he he doesn't know what his limits are, whatever whatever they may or may not be. It's also the fact that he's also taking it for granted that what whatever he what whatever he has under the hood can match with anybody else or is better than anybody else. So he's completely under. It's kind of it's being arrogant on that level too that he's kind of just completely underestimating anybody that he's squaring off with because he assumes ah, I've been there, done that, and he does. And since he obviously in in our universe has no idea what the Revenant Queen is or his ties to her, and another universe and where those where the powers come from, what they're based on, how it's relates, you know, how it relates to the the ring that she has, which is which is funny because of the fact that you get that line in this issue about that when John says I don't need a ring and the response, you know, is is that neither does she, which is kind of weird yeah. because that's kind of weird because it seems like the ring is kind of the the ring is kind of like the trigger for the for to at least to start the, to start the whole process all over again of an, of infection and to take a bit basically to create a new revenant queen. It seems like you do need the ring, but and but it, and it's how she got to this universe in the first place, right? So I, so that's and that's a very that struck me as odd, even though I'm sure we'll get an explanation for why that makes sense. It it seemed like, well, that's kind of an odd retort based on what we know, not based on what he knows, John Stewart. Yeah. But what we know, it's like, well, that doesn't seem to be true. Well, another odd thing is that so Varen and his buddies go to the Amazon rainforest because they're tracking hard light energy, which they assume must be from the ring that they think John has. And they come across a chunk of the space station that was destroyed in issue one. And when, when Shepard arrived at the, at that station at the end of last issue, it was already a wreck and a big chunk of it was missing, which is when his ring said like, Hey, you know, that may have crashed on earth and in which case it's too late. So the hard light energy, they, they uh, detected on this piece of the station could not have been from Shepard's ring because he never got to this piece. He's still up in space with the rest of it. So does that would have to mean that they're detecting whatever energy is coming from the Revenant Queen. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I still don't know what to make any of it. I think it's also interesting. So you're talking about like teleporting uh, his, you know, back and forth between Metropolis and everything, you know. And then, Dan, you were talking about how his mother says you are wasting talent that the world needs. And she's obviously referring to his architectural abilities from her perspective. He's given up his ring and does it is not a lantern anymore. She, as far as we know, because of how he's been handling his powers, she has no idea that he has inherent abilities. So mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not ex- expecting this to lead to anything big in terms of storyline, but um, now because we literally see we see her only one panel after he sparks up and and she's screaming, but I don't know if her mouth is open from screaming or from shock uh, or some combination of both because this is this is the first time she has seen him use abilities. So I would expect, given the conversation she just had with John. I would expect her to chew him out a little bit if that's her perspective. Oh, that would be cool. That that you're telling me this entire time you've been able to do this. It's not like you quit the core or anything and no longer have a ring. She obviously she knows about his. He was a public hero. He threw away his mask, which they mentioned several times in this issue. But he was a public hero, sir. So she she obviously always knew that his abilities came from an item as opposed to from within him. But that has changed. And now that it has, and given the conversation they just had, I expect a righteous mother uh, lecture incoming for John. <laughs> That's a very good point. I I hope that happens. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then chew him out for well, you made me take the train. That took hours. (laughs) Hey, speaking of, like, I wasn't sure what to make of this, if this was, if this line was anything or not. Like, when they're, they're on the train ride back, John's asking her, like, what did you think of the city? Pretty different from how you remember. And she says, nothing like I remember. I knew Metropolis got a lot better after Superman came to town, but, and then trails off. But, like, like, that seems like a weird, like, 
that seems like a weird thing to say, considering how long Superman's been in Metropolis. And I, I'm just, I wasn't sure, like, does that mean she just hasn't been to Metropolis in 30 years? Or is that another mind thing where she, like, she's remembering 30 years like it was two weeks ago comic book timeline timeline logic dan uh it hasn't it probably hasn't been 30 years uh it, it may have we don't know how old john is specifically but he looks relatively young uh in terms of his mother aging and everything we don't know the age difference between them but safe to say he's 30s maybe 40s i wouldn't say he's probably in his 50s right no 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 if we yeah, take the ahead. modern classic Dark Crisis in, on oh, another Earth into account and and factor in that everything is canon except when it isn't, and then carry the three, <laughs> no, well, I, I think she's just if, if worst case scenario here, she's just probably the inability to put time in perspective because don't yeah. forget she also is having the conversation kind of like again, kind of like uh, chewing them out a little bit, like I don't. Don't talk about yourself not measuring up to Batman and Superman because, you know, you were the hero that took off his mask and, and, and put it down and things like that. So so she so I, I don't think it's necessarily that she thinks, oh, you know, like uh, it's probably that she just can't put the two and two together from a time frame perspective. But Chad's also right that we all we all know, like in the in that great timeline that they created at the end of Zero Hour, how basically like almost everything happened within like 10 years. <laughs> the history yeah. of the DCU all took place in like in 10 and 10 years like the 50 the 50 60 70 years of history that they had were all really Tony only all took place like in 10 years of of DCU time so yeah so yeah all more, right anything more. else we want to say about this uh i'm curious what you guys think about this uh what i guess is is a new standard issue green lantern core uniform cuz Baron and the uh, the other guy are both wearing the exact same one except for well, they're also one both Durlins are they it looks like it all right. Um, I don't know. Uh, it looks like a bad attempt at mixing Guy Gardner's costume with Kingdom Come Green Lantern. Yeah, the out the out the outfits are pretty pretty crappy. The uh, squiggly antenna like Alien is, is is the coolest design of the group. But well, that uh, looks like something out of the Ryan Reynolds movie. <laughs> it does. But uh, I don't know. I think uh, yeah. I I, I don't think. It'd be curious. It would be curious once we see a Green Lantern that we already know whether they're like basically it's like kind of like they're forced to wear the new outfit or whether just knowing the friggin' United Planets is probably going to be the case as opposed to just everybody who gets recruited. It's like like the grandfather clause. It's like yeah, you can keep you can still wear your old uniform, but everybody else who comes in has to wear the new one. But knowing knowing how douchey they probably are, that's probably not exactly from a sake of total control and being dominant and. We're the, you know, we're the new overseers. That uh, that's probably not the case. Probably everybody's got to wear these lousy clothes. But, yeah, the grandfather clause. That's gonna be uh, Tim Allen's next yeah. movie. Right? <laughs> Can't wait to see Mogo's new uniform. Oh God, if they give him like a big, <laughs> big bulky like garbage can armor like that, that'll be is, amazing. Is I forget. Is Mogo actually still around now? Is uh, Mogo still active? He's, is he? Who knows? I don't think no. he is. I didn't think that he was, but I don't remember. Oh, Where do you go? I don't know. For some reason, I thought he was kind of like inactive or dead again. But then again, we haven't no. seen him in so long. Who knows? No, no. Mogo's fine. Come on. Do we have anything else we want to talk about uh, about this issue tonight? No, I mean, I'm I'm still very much on the hook and interested to see where this goes. And I hope to God this ends up being an ongoing series because I still haven't seen a single thing to comment on how many issues it's supposed to be. <laughs> I would be surprised, though, if it was really intended as a mini, I would be surprised if it actually just, just oh, by the, we'll just keep it going. They may they may start over with another number one with the same creative team, but I would doubt. I don't know why they would have. I don't know. I guess it's a way to lower expectations if you just say, hey, it's a limited series. But they usually then tell you, have, like you said, they usually tell you the number of issues or at least they give you a range. So I don't know. Um, I guess I, I would just. Probably it's safe to assume at this point, with until we hear anything, that it's probably going to be twelve issues, and anything anything more than that would be a surprise, pleasant surprise. But yeah, I uh, I look forward to getting more of it. This issue did feel slower than last issue, but last issue was also you know quote unquote first issue, so that's to be expected. All right, on to the news. We got uh, I, I believe four little bits that we're going to go with here tonight, and. Uh, just, uh, we'll start off with the one we can get by pretty quick. Um, 
Image Comics has released a new imprint, um, and it's going to be called Ghost Machine. Uh, lots of Green Lantern names are going to be uh, making up the founding uh, of uh, Ghost Machine. We got Jeff Johns, Peter Tomasi, Jason Fabok, uh, Francis Manipal, Gary Frank, Brian Hitch, Brad Meltzer, Lamont McGee, and uh, Mytel Zikshut, something like that. Um, but uh, it's, um, I think it's a cool idea. Uh, I did read the first uh, uh, Geiger. I didn't follow it up with any of the uh, the follow ups from Geiger, but um, it seems like they're bringing in that universe. And uh, you know, I'm I'm down to see more because that was pretty popular stuff over at Image for a little bit. Yeah, I think it's cool that they're doing it, especially like like I'm always in favor of seeing creators get to do more like creator owned work which I assume this is since I think that's how image works overall. Uh, the inter- the most interesting part about this though, is that as, as I understand it, all of these creators are now going to be exclusive to yep. ghost machine, which mm-hmm. means we're going to see, we're going to see a lot of, of very big green lantern talent exit DC. And, Honestly, part of me think it feels like this is it's time. It's probably been time, especially in terms of Jeff Johns, who's who's kind of always been hanging over everything in a way that like I don't know I don't know how to say this without sounding unappreciative for the great work he has done. But it kind of felt like it was blackest. time for him to move on. If that's yeah. what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, like it always felt to me that like he missed the perfect opportunity to exit at the end of blackest night. And then instead kept writing the book for a few more years and then kept doing this, like this uh, administrative stuff at DC where I don't know, it was very obfuscated, whatever he was or was not doing. And at this point, I just hope he actually finishes all 12 issues of JSA (laughs) before he, he walks out the door. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Losing Johns is is interesting. I wouldn't say it's a big deal anymore these days. Um losing Gary Frank and Brian Hitch. Um those are mm, uh, Gary Frank is always late with his art um usually. Yep. Um but that said he's still a big talent. I mean it's not like Jason Jason Fabok and Francis Manipal or or Brad Meltzer are are names to sneeze at either. Those are those are those are uh, well recognized names at this point to be losing uh, in in droves like this uh, by them going exclusive. So, but we don't know obviously how long the exclusivity contract lasts. So this does kind of feel like the original formation of Image, doesn't it? Like except yeah, for bit. the fact that that they're already they're going to an image that already exists, but it's still like it's hey how some like DC's some of DC's top talent is all getting together and starting an, a whole imprint by themselves over there. Yeah, definitely interesting there. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, of course, is that we got announcements that uh, Elseworlds is coming back and it will be coming back with its debut being a Green Lantern story called Green Lantern Dark by Tate Bromble and Werther Del Adera. It reimagines the DC universe as a dark fantasy wasteland where monsters overrun a post-apocalyptic Earth. The battle between good and evil ended long ago. Now darkness prevails as humanity struggles to survive on a corrupted planet. Only one hero remains, the one who wields the green flame that can return light to a dark world, the Green Lantern. But she's been missing for years, and on the isolated island of New England, the horrors can only get worse by the night. And one of the covers makes it look like uh, this is the tangent version of Green Lantern. As Dan and I were talking about before you got here. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like when I when I saw that first image where it's like kind of the obscured uh, picture of her above, like what looks like an undead army. Like my first thought was tangent Green Lantern, too. But then they released this second like full body image of the character and Okay, yeah, like, yeah, she's wearing like a hooded cloak and has a a lantern on a staff, but like, literally nothing else about the design is the same. 
And once they like describe it as like, oh yeah, we're doing a dark fantasy story. The things that this character has in common visually with the tangent Green Lantern are generic enough that I like you see them in every fantasy story. So I am personally going to not assume it's I like I'm going into this thing assuming it's a brand new character. Oh yeah, like yeah, I I, I agree. I think it's but there's no but there's no doubt from a physical perspective, from a t- design perspective, that if you've been reading Green Lantern or been reading DC for a while, that that you're gonna you're gonna know and place the reference point that oh that's what it resembles, even if there's no direct correlation, or or even if they we find out there is a slight correlation. But I do, yeah, it's I think it will be unique. I don't think it's the same character or it's supposed to be, but I do think that. But there could be a reason by choice, not just by accidentally, quote unquote, what that why they chose that look of this character. But I guess we'll have to find out. Yeah, either way, I'm excited. Yeah, for sure. And let's let's see. It's going to be a mini series. Um, and that'll be happening in April, I believe, if that's right. Oh, they gave a date. Uh, I don't remember. I just remember 2024. I don't know where I got that date. I got it from something. Okay. Well, either um, way, it's it's it is a seven issue miniseries. Mm-hmm. Which when I saw this announced, I'm like, oh, may, that'll be a cool one shot, or maybe it'll be two or three issues. And when I saw seven, I'm like, okay, now we can really sink our teeth into this. This is awesome. Yeah, we're Green Lantern ongoing, War Journal hopefully ongoing still. The Alan Scott story probably maybe. That's we'll a mini. Have, Come on, that's a mini. We'll we'll have recently wrapped, uh, so we'll be getting another. So we'll be you know hopefully continuing with three Green Lantern issues a month, um, dropping. So that should be fun. Oh yes. Continuing on with Lantern story news, there will be a DC Power uh, issue in 2024. The John Stewart is featured on the cover, as is Lantern Joe. Um, and that Lantern Joe story will be told by the original creative team of Far Sector. I am so happy. Like, you have no idea. Like, the emotional roller coaster I went on le- the last time there was a Far Sector inclusion in one of these anthologies because I thought we were getting this. I thought, oh, they got N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell to come back and tell a new Joe story. But it was just a reprint of one of the issues of Far Sector. And I was so disappointed. And now they're coming back and they're doing like the way that that this story is being talked about. is like like this is like the this is the the anchor of this issue. Like this is the big one. Plus, it'll be the first meeting between Joe and Jon Stewart. Yes. And it's. Like they ha- they released two preview pages, and it looks like this story might be because we've never actually seen the end of Joe's time on the city enduring, and it looks like this is John helping her move out because she's like they're like packing up boxes and just sort of throwing them into a pocket dimension or something, which I wish I could do, and and like John even finds her little Funko pop of him that she, that was in her room throughout that series. It's, it's, it looks so cool. And there's an, a gorgeous wraparound variant cover by Jamal Campbell of Joe and her whole far sector supporting cast. I'm, I'm just, I'm so happy about this. I'm just down for more Jamal Campbell artwork. Yes. All right. And then very lastly, uh, unless anyone else has something to add, Bit of a sad note, uh, Keith Giffen passed away recently. Notable for several things, obviously, big big uh, name across uh, 80s and 90s DC, um, but uh, notable for Green Lantern fans, writer of uh, Emerald Dawn. Um, and didn't he also work on uh, Larflees? Yes. Uh, my, yep, yep, there you go. Yep. So there's that as well. And then, you know, just throwing it out there, uh, he helped re-envision, re-imagine Ragman uh, post-crisis uh, and the first time we'd seen him since his creation, uh, which is important to me. Um, so uh, he's also, of course, you know, big, big, big name with Justice League and uh, and uh, and Legion of Superheroes and stuff like that. But I thought given his contributions to Green Lantern, we should uh, at least talk about it. I mean, you're you're kind of burying the lead here. You you left out the two biggest words 
that he added to Green Lantern, which is one punch. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that, that was I, I, that was sad when when I think it was that last week when we were, since we've been recording this, I think it's been about a week. Yeah, that's kind of sad. Definitely left an imprint Green Lantern wise besides obviously more than that. But he definitely has done a lot of Green Lantern related stuff one way or the other. So that's sad. Yeah, I mean, it's we're at a point now where it seems like all of the creators that were that were so influential and responsible for the stories we grew up loving are are just on their way out. And sometimes it's sudden, sometimes it's not. And you never really know which one of the two is worse. You just have to kind of roll with it when it happens. I think he in this particular case, he went out exactly the way he wanted to like did you guys both see his uh final social media post which was made after the fact at his request by family i I have it in front of me if you want me to read it go for it it's he he posted he had his family post i told them i was sick anything not to go to new york (laughs) comic-con thanks keith giffen 1952 uh 1952 to 2003 (laughs) as that is like like if he wasn't already a legend he would be now (laughs) all right i got something not not comic related since we're kind of winding down here and we actually and surprisingly we actually have time as opposed to normally when we're pushing you know we're pushing the limits so i found it i not not coincidentally i don't think i find it interesting that probably like about a week after the first box office tracking numbers are released for the marvels which are supposed to be really horrible (laughs) I think like 50 to 75 million is what that movie is currently. And that's the range that it's supposed to open up in, which would be pretty disastrous, especially if it starts on the, if it comes closer to the lower end. Cause now we're talking like incredible Hulk and like the original Thor numbers. I mean, hell, even if it gets in, uh, in close to 75, but doesn't beat it. Now you're talking like the Eternals numbers, which ain't anything to write home about. I did find it interesting that they changed, they can't, they've completely changed their marketing campaign in the last like week, which I am only mentioning just because I've had like, the pendulum has swung back like three different times for me and how I feel about it. Because my first reaction was, you have to be kidding me because they're trying to push Carol Danvers. Nobody wants to go see her. And then I'm, then I was forgiving because it's like, well, and not even being facetious, they're desperate because they obviously went the Kamala Monica route to push this movie all along and it hasn't worked. So now they're playing the only card they have left. So I was forgiving, but now they're, but, but now they're doing something that's angering me because they're playing the Avengers card. You know, the Avengers who are on a need to know basis and as MCU fans, we don't need to know for the last like four and a half years. They're I actually them. Yeah, they're actually playing the Avengers card. And how are they playing it to make it an Avenger returns? Friggin Captain Marvel, who almost nobody considers a real member of the team. Anyway, I find that kind of a, I find that part of it being tone deaf. I know they're desperate. So pushing her and pushing Nick Fury. I don't have a problem with that. But pushing the Avengers angle. I, I kind of think that on some level you have to respect how ballsy that is just because they literally have this have decided we don't need to know anything about the Avengers for the last four and a half years. But now but now we'll play up with the Avengers, play the Avengers card to try to save their ass on a movie that seems desperate to, or it seems destined, I should say, to dramatically underperform. So I, I, I just thought that I just thought all that was was interesting. And, and and yeah, but that's probably just me. I probably won't go see it in theaters. If I'm being honest, uh, I might end up going to it with friends or something like that. You know, if it's something that they want to do um, or if I'm just, you know, killing time and want to, you know, check something out, uh, maybe I'll do that. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I don't um, I don't really have much interest to go out of my way to go see it. I'm most likely going to see it in theaters just because I know my dad and brother are going to want to go. Mm-hmm. And I mean, honestly. I'm interested to see how this movie turns out just because my biggest complaint about the first Captain Marvel movie is that by giving her amnesia for 90% of the movie, we never like we didn't get to see the character be herself until the end. Like she, we saw more Carol Danversing in the 10 minutes she was in Endgame, Endgame than we did in the entire self-titled Captain Marvel yep. movie. So 
as far as I'm concerned, like this is the very first time we are going to see an entire movie where where Brie Larson is actually playing Carol Danvers the entire time. <laughs> so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what that's actually like. I already have my ticket, so I'm going to see it on that on that Thursday. So, but I I, I agree with you. I think that was go, looking back at this, that was an incredibly poor. It's hard to say that was the first bad decision by Marvel, but it was it certainly was the, you know, the the early dominoes of, of bad decision making. You can make a case. A lot of that went into Captain Marvel to begin with. But the, the decision to get the decision to get to by choice, give her absolutely no personality for 90 plus percent of the movie in a character that historically, even from a comic book perspective, is not particularly well liked <laughs> from a personality perspective and make her even more arguably, quote unquote, unlikable. And they all, and like we've mentioned before, they also haven't done her any favors by kind of making her character seem just as unlikable in the in What If, and having the the Maria Rambo version be just as douchey as the Carol Danvers version. That so far, so I don't think they're put. It's I I just see the irony in the fact that they they were regardless of what they will say that they had so little confidence in Captain Marvel's ability to sell this carry this movie on her own that they wouldn't even put her name in the title. And now they're desperate to push the movie, so they have nothing else. They have nothing else to play, but that's why they're playing the Avengers card. And I, I just, I just think that's, I, I understand part. That's why I thought it was to me. I, I wanted to mention it just because literally I've gone from the pendulum has swung completely back and forth in the co- course of a week. First I was pissed, then I said, oh, I understand it because they're desperate. But then because of them playing the Avengers card, it kind of got me pissed again because it's like, well. It's like, you know, you think it's like in case of emergency, break glass, the Avengers. But now, but I think you're I think among the many lessons they're learning is when you purposely uh, kind of like keep us in the dark for over for four and a half, <laughs> four and a half years about who the, the Avengers are, what they are and their purpose and everything else that you can't just throw the name out Avengers and especially applying it to characters that nobody really thinks of as an Avenger, honestly, and expect people to just, oh, that's going to rally. That's going to rally the base. It could be a great. It could be a very fun movie. I'm hoping it's fun, and I'm hoping it is going to have some ties uh, to the multiverse and have some surprises in it, and which I think it will from a cameo perspective uh, in that in the movie and post credit wise. But I still, I have, I've always thought this movie was never going to do particularly well, and even and now that the, so I, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that the tracking numbers were were low. I guess it might surprise me a tad that they currently are like so far below Quantumania. But that just also tells you, I mean, Captain Marvel came along at the right time. You know, it was it was right before Endgame came out and people were really pumped for Endgame. That was literally the, you know, the pinnacle of the MCU as, as Endgame was about to come out. And it it benefited greatly from that. And so we'll see. I, it, it might be good. I'm hoping it's good. But it kind of goes back to something we've all talked about collectively. But I don't think ever on the same show. The fact that if Guardians was really successful, which it turned out to be. Was it gonna? Was it really gonna matter in the big picture? Because it, what was the likelihood it was gonna have any legs and carry over to the next project? And I think we kind of all thought it probably wouldn't because it's such a the Guardians was its own thing. And now we're certainly seeing that at least based on the initial tracking numbers that Guardians being such a big hit and arguably Loki getting off to a good start now on Disney Plus a second season from a ratings perspective that none of that has any effect on people's interest to see the marvels which makes sense because you have two characters that if you weren't really invested in watching the tv shows you know almost nothing about and a character that on her own regardless of how much money the first movie made as a character isn't particularly popular so it's and they haven't given us a reason based on what you see in the trailers i mean nobody knows what's going on in this in in the trailers really it's so vague that I, i think the marketing the marketing has been kind of poor for this movie too so but we'll we'll see soon enough since it's less than a month now. That's all I got. <laughs> what about you, Dan? You got you got anything? <laughs> no, I hope it'll be good. I did like your video on your on your theory about what's going on with Hal's ring, by the way. Oh, thank you, thank you, Mark. You mean that the video uh, the <laughs> hidden threat facing Green Lantern, which can be found on the Mosaic Comics YouTube channel at YouTube.com/c/MosaicComics. Yeah, I hope my check is in the mail, Dad. <laughs> sure. After Chad takes his cut, it's uh, a processing uh, no. fee. <laughs> yes, I, mean, I that, think that's a good. It, it is a very w- well thought out take. I, I could certainly get behind that. Thank you. I like to think of it as being logical yet a little unhinged. 
<laughs> about about this whole conspiracy theory about what's going on in the Jeremy Adams Green Lantern book. I mean, because the last time I was on here, I think it was it was either you or Chad or both of you wondering out loud, like, hey, what is the bigger story of this series? Who's the villain? What's going on? What's this about? And that just kind of got me connecting dots and putting strings on boards and the whole thing. And it, it was a, a very fun time, turned into a fun video that, you know, hopefully if you're listening to this and you're into that Green Lantern book, you'll give it a watch because... I mean, it's it's kind of a wild idea I come up with, and if it would if it turns out to be right, that would be scary. <laughs> but in the meantime, since it's Halloween, you can also go to the channel right now and see my spooky video all about the story "Ashes to Ashes" from Green Lantern Corps Quarterly in number seven. It's the introduction of the lantern named Ash, and it's a very good short vampire story. So. All that on Mosaic Comics on YouTube. If you see something you like, consider subscribing because there will be a lot more soon. Nice. And if you want to hear more from us, Mark, what do they want to do? Pray. Pray to God. <laughs> I don't know. Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Hashtag GLCast to track us down. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. <laughs> I'll never say that with a straight face. Whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. If you'd like our Discord information, you could also email us at lanterncast, lanterncast at gmail.com. Last but not least, if you'd like to text us or leave us a voicemail, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. Yes. Um, real quick, though, I wanted to let people know, because I forgot to mention it during the news segment. Um, if you are a fan of Green Lantern, which hopefully you are, uh, and like to buy merch and stuff to add to the Christmas tree, the Hallmark Green Lantern Power Battery ornament that we talked about back beginning of the year, April-ish or so, uh, that is out now. It is available for pre-order on Hallmark's website, and I just saw photos over on Twitter of someone posting it in-store. So uh, if you are wanting to decorate your tree this year with a uh, power battery, they are available from Hallmark now, so go pick up that $20 ornament. Uh, I tell you now because if you're not aware, there are some pretty serious hardcore ornament collectors out there. Um, and whether or not they're comic book fans or not doesn't seem to matter. They will get all of the new releases from Hallmark every year. So um, you are better off thinking about it and going to get it now than waiting until closer to Christmas. Just Giving you that heads up, you decide what to do with that. <laughs> it is a very good looking ornament too. It is. It is. I'll have to make the big decision, the the heart wrenching decision of whether I put that power battery close to the the regular Hal Jordan flying ornament or the unfortunate Ryan Reynolds talking ornament. <laughs> I think I know which one I will pick. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Happy Halloween. Good night. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>